We have former Roland Garros champion and former world number one on our show today, Anna Ivanovich. With her aggressive style of playing, she reached the pinnacle of tennis to, and she created her own legacy. And she was also named as the 30 legendary, women's, uh, legendary woman in tennis, past, present and future by time. And also she went on to register herself on the list of greatest players ever, male and female combined. So Anna, welcome to our show. And uh, talking about us, we are at Essentially Sports, we are a digital media house. We started off in the year 2014. And today we cover about 13 to 14 sports and tennis is one of our thriving divisions. So how are you, Anna? I'm very good. Nice talking to you. Thank you. So how did how was this year? How did you start off this year? Do you have any New Year resolutions in specific? Uh, well, to be honest, I think, um, especially with the little kids, all you hope for is that everyone is healthy and happy. Um, but of course, I have um, I have some goals that I set for myself. And um, uh, last year was a big year for me. And um, I launched um, my cosmetic line. So um, there is a lot of work on that uh, on that area. So I, um, I really hope it goes well this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have been keeping yourself busy all this while so presently are you getting some time to follow Australian Open in Melbourne a little bit and being in Europe of course with the time difference it's a little bit hard but uh, in the morning when the when the kids uh, go to school I have some time to to watch and um, and it's it's been it's been really nice and um, many many surprises and some of the old faces which is nice to see (laughs) Mm -hmm. so are you getting some flashbacks and recollections from your time over there Absolutely. I uh, I love playing in Australia. It was such a special place for me and I always mm-hmm. felt like at home. I used to spend my pre-seasons there. I have some relatives and the, the crowds mm-hmm. are just amazing. They're so knowledgeable about tennis and they really mm-hmm. um, get into the matches. And, and as a player, mm-hmm. it means so much to us. Um, so yeah, I always enjoyed and uh, now having flashbacks to 2008 and reaching the finals there. And uh, mm-hmm. I at this time of the year, actually, it's always the hardest because I always miss Australia (laughs) so yeah I can definitely relate to what you're saying and you have had wonderful uh, wonderful memories uh, in Melbourne so we'll continue talking about uh, Australian Open later uh, later but uh, tell us something about your life at present how does your day look like and how is the second phase of your life wherein kids have become your priority well, it's kind of uh, a mix of of, um, of work and, and motherhood. Of course, um, the kids are still little, so they are my priority. Um, and I love spending time with them. It's such a, um, a different feeling and it's so um, so rewarding and it's something that I always wanted. And, um, and um, yeah, they really um, make me super happy and uh, and I really enjoy um, spending every moment with them that I can but on the other hand I also started playing tennis when I was five so it's in my blood to kind of keep working and keep moving and to have something of my own I mean tennis is individual sport and we are very independent so for me that's very important to to keep on and to that's why I am um, since two years I'm developing this cosmetic line that we launched on Ivanovich Natural Performance last year so for me that's that's in 
important part also of my identity and also of learning something new, um, learning a new trade, you know, uh, being a sports person, it's one thing, but um, once that chapter kind of closed for me, I was really uh, fortunate that it opened up so many other doors for me, which I uh, wanted to, to, to step, um, step in and explore. So... First of all, I would like to congratulate you for starting your own sustainable skincare brand last year. It's called the Anna Ivanovich Natural Performance. And your cosmetics are meant for both men and women. And also active tennis players like Naomi Osaka and Jessica Pegula, they have their own skincare brands, uh, Kinlo and Ready24 respectively. So what really motivated you to plunge into skincare division in specific and embark your entrepreneurial journey? Um, well, I think with the age, you realize the importance of skincare. When you're young, you don't really think much about, you know, cleaning your face or uh, hydrating it. And um, and then, of course, as I um, got a little bit older and traveling around the world um, and playing in different conditions, you start to struggle sometimes with keeping the hydration or um, whatever other issues um, a person might have. So I was always searching for something organic because that's something that I live by. So I wanted to find some something sustainable and organic. Um, and I really struggled to find something in this um, division that really works. So in, in that search, I decided to create um, my own my own line. So I'm very, very excited because um, it's, it's something that works. It's something that I use on a daily basis. And it's also very innovative. So uh, we are we are really combining um, yeah best of both worlds while still being conscious of um, not only the people, but also the planet. But Anna, you just mentioned about being people getting old and, you know, their skin, it changes according to the age. But uh, to be honest, when I look at you, I don't see that. You're growing young, in my opinion. <laughs> it's my cosmetic. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no, no. I wouldn't say that. It's like your natural, the natural glow that you have within you thank you i i always i always say thank you to my parents to good genetics <laughs> <laughs> all right and also we heard a little anecdote about your entrepreneurship would you like to share the backstory how jessica alba hollywood actress she became an inspiration behind your beauty brand um, yes, absolutely. So um, we lived uh, in uh, Chicago for three years and uh, actually our kids are born in Chicago. So while being there mm -hmm. and being so conscious about being organic and being natural, I was always uh, searching for different products. So um, I tried some of her products and of course, um, over the last year, she developed uh, enormously. And uh, But in the beginning, she was also doing a lot of kids um, uh, organic um, shampoos and, and, and hand wash and laundry detergents and diapers and wipes and so on so um, I started to explore um, that and to use it with my kids in the beginning so it was kind of inspiration for me to create um, something of my own because like I said I started really to become um, more like not only a fashion lover but also a beauty lover as as my career was towards the end because I started to have a little more time and um, and of course now with the kids as well you don't have time so it was important for me to create something that it's easy to use and very quick because I don't want to spend even 15 minutes in a bathroom like I want to do it in three minutes and to be ready and to have my skin ready and hydrated so this was also one of the things that I kept in mind from my personal experience. Mm -hmm. 
So you kept focusing upon the important time management, having a family and entrepreneurship and other ventures that you are in. But I would like to know, like you have reached the pinnacle of tennis. And so is entrepreneurship more difficult than being a tennis professional? Uh, well, to be honest, on some level, yes, because it's completely new. It's completely different. Tennis is something that I kind of um, lived with. It was part of me because I played when I was five and it just became my life. And uh, now this, it's completely different, um, different perspective and different approach. So um, for sure, it's a completely new challenge, but I love challenges and I love um, to push myself. And um, especially if it's something that I love doing and I believe in. So um, that's why I'm constantly learning and, um, and growing. Speaking about challenges, what are the difficulties that you recently faced while you know launching your skincare brand? Well, I think it's coming from sport into the cosmetics. It, of course, it's a completely different, um, um, let's say, people that know your target groups, so to say. So I think just reaching this awareness in different spectrum and also um, creating trust that, um, you know, like... I was a tennis player, now I'm doing something in cosmetics. So building this trust with the audience that they really believe that um, this cosmetics works, you know. And of course, it's not me who is putting it together in laboratory. We have a professional pharmacist who are doing amazing jobs. So um, for me, it's just um, speaking and creating this trust that, of course, takes time to build. Um, you know, with the, with the tennis also, it wasn't overnight. You know, you play tournaments, you get better and so on. So it's the same now, trying to create awareness in a completely different um, in a completely different audience let's say mm-hmm. so you are being so close to tennis tennis is in your blood so and right now you're doing something which is completely different but are you planning to appoint any brand ambassadors from tennis store for your skincare division um, to be honest, I didn't really think about it yet. Uh, we are just in a process of um, of growing and raising awareness. But um, of course, I send the, the boxes to some of my, um, let's say, close peers that I used to play with and so on for them to, mm-hmm. to try my cosmetics and so on. But in terms of ambassador, I still didn't really <laughs> think into that direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Um... Can you please tell us whom did you share your cosmetics with, like your best friends on tour? So could you name them? <laughs> yeah, some of them, like Angelique Kerber, yeah. Serana Kirstea. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and even like Carolyn Wozniacki, we, we used to play together. Okay. So. okay, yeah. So yeah, all of them are legendary players that you named. And Kerber, I think, she's also entering motherhood. <laughs> and uh, I think... Yeah. So do you have any advices for Kerber? Like since she's entering motherhood and she's also like a Grand Slam champion, world number one. We actually... We actually do talk a lot. Um, uh, mm-hmm. She she also um, she also lives sometimes close to us, uh, so we we catch mm-hmm. up quite often. And of course, wow. it's chapter of life for her, so she's exciting mm-hmm. and excited about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we 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 share some thoughts and opinions. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, great. It's nice to know, like both of you are good friends, two legends, you know, going out together. And uh, yeah, it's lovely to know that. Yeah, and so we always let, we mm-hmm. always joke together. We have all four Grand Slams. 
<laughs> yeah, that's so true. So let's pl- jump into your tennis career a little bit. In the inception of your career was pretty much similar to your legendary compatriot Djokovic. Both of you were practicing under dangerous conditions, war-torn areas, you were experiencing bombardments. Everything you underwent has made you resilient, even Djokovic as well. So under these unplayable circumstances, like a few years, like almost decades, two decades ago, what really motivated you to choose an expensive sport like tennis as a career? Well, to be honest, I must say, like, my parents did an amazing job because they never um, really let us feel um, anything about, let's say, like, money problems or, um, of course, you know, the war was super hard and we practiced through it, we, we lived through it, so it was very hard, but our parents really did best to to kind of protect me and my brother but for me tennis was always a game I started playing when I was five watching Monica Seller so for me I never thought about it in the terms of like I can earn money I can uh, become famous but as the coaches were starting to say I'm talented and I could do well I started to dream about playing against you know big players and playing big tournaments but again for me it was never money driven or or in that sense you know being famous for me it was just a game that I really loved um, and uh, of course, uh, during these tough times, there were many, um, many times where where we thought, okay, that's it. A few times I wanted to stop because my I could feel that my parents didn't have money to put me in a higher group where I could improve more. So I was saying to my mom at the age of 10, I'm like, well, if you can't do that, then there is no point of paying this because I'm not improving. And then, yeah. and then like, Little by little, and then uh, my mom just recently told me the story that I even didn't know that um, in two thousand, uh, in um, when I was twelve, I was gonna go to the trip to uh, Le Petitas. It's a small tournament in Tarbes in France for the small kids, and uh, my parents didn't tell me it was gonna be my last tournament. But in that tournament, I got a sponsor, and then everything changed, you know. And I didn't know this story at all. So, um, of course, my parents tried to hide the part that it was super expensive and and super hard to kind of keep up and maintain um, and maintenance at that, that time. But um, they just saw my passion and they supported me. And I'm of course very grateful for that. They will always be my my best supporters. Yeah, my family and my brother. Yeah. So you just mentioned about your early teenage years being so challenging. And uh, it was so exp- tennis was so expensive at that time to afford. But at the age of thirteen, your life in your life you experienced a major twist. Like you left your home country, you went to Basel to train because the country was offering you better coaching facilities. And with your mom, how difficult was it to settle in a new country? And what were the biggest challenges that you were facing during that? phase of your life well the thing is that I never really left the country I just used to go for trainings because I had now at that time I had sponsors so I had the better facilities so I would just go to train and of course especially as a girl coming from Serbia and um, Serbia not being a strong country where they could support their uh, their players um, it was uh, it was the only way for me to kind of train and improve so um, me and my mom we traveled a lot between Switzerland and Serbia and trying to um, yeah to, to, to keep up and to, to train train and so on and it was it was 
in a way hard because I had a um, four years younger brother who was, you know, only what, nine or <laughs> 10 at that time uh, when we were traveling a lot. And it's, it's very, it's very hard. So my dad was mostly with him, sometimes the grandparents helping. Um, and my mom, because she spoke a good English and she was next to me as I was um, just, <laughs> you know, turning a teenager. Um, so it was a little bit tough, but to be honest, my parents always did amazing job of us kids not feeling this kind of stress. And for me personally, I never saw any of that because I only saw the passion that I had for sport. Um, and, uh, you know, now looking back and having my own kids, I'm like, oh, my God, how did you do that? How did you even let me go into the world sometimes alone without at that time? No phones, nothing, you know, and um, it's it's very brave for them. And, and also, um, you know, the trust that they had in me and the passion that they saw in me. So tennis players often say the match that we see is just like two hours of show. And behind that, there's an army of people working in there. And in that army, most of the people are your family members. And I think it's definitely this case for you too. Like um, family members sacrificing their time, sacrificing their dreams and everything so that you could live your dream. Um. Yes, yes. Uh, but I, I guess it's a little bit like individual as well. I do agree that what you see of one and a half or two hours mm -hmm. of the match is just the, the small tip of the iceberg. Um, and there is a whole uh, different world behind it. Um, and But I must say my parents were always just a support for me. Um, they were never uh, really involved in the terms of coaching or um, even like managing. Um, they were just there really as a support where some players have different different situations where their family is more into coaching or fitness or 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 management even um so in that sense it was different but yes it absolutely takes a whole team behind the scene um to support and to go um yeah to go to go into the the matches you know and and I always I always uh, joke with my husband because it's such a different mentality coming from team sport versus individual sport because in individual sport you have a team of people but whatever happens within the team it's your fault because you are the one performing <laughs> and in a team sport whatever happens on a pitch most of the time it's actually coaches fault. <laughs> so it's completely mm -hmm. like opposite so it's really funny sometimes <laughs> mm -hmm. yes definitely so after all this like you underwent you underwent all the sacrifices that your parents made, your family made, you yourself, like you were hardworking and resilient all the time. What was that moment in professional tennis you felt, yes, we have made it, like as a family, as a team, we have achieved that goal. So what was that one moment? I mean, of course, winning French Open and, and being number one, um, uh you 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 feel that because all your dreams and all the hard work and everything it's like yes this is it this is what i've been working hard for and and, and dreaming of mm -hmm. so even like before winning your french open in the year 20 2007 you made it to the semi-finals of the french open and you defeated uh, back then she was world number two maria sharapova in the semi-finals and do you remember in how many minutes you defeated her? 
Um, not exactly, but I think it was it was for sure under an hour. Um, maybe uh, it was a little bit over an hour. It was sixty-five. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, I thought it was because I remember um, I played really well that match. I think I served something like 12 aces and um, yeah, it was it was very good. Very, very special year as well for me. It was a straight set match, yes. <laughs> and in the subsequent year, in the year 2008, was definitely a thriving year for Serbian tennis. Like Djokovic won his first slam in Australia at the Australian Open and you were the finalists and you had defeated uh, Venus Williams en route to your championship match and you and if I'm not wrong the final match it was a really close battle uh, and you lost to Maria Sharapova and so did that did that loss fuel fuel the fire within you to win the very next Grand Slam in Paris? Absolutely, and I must say, I just recently saw um, saw somewhere that that year in two thousand eighteen in, uh, in Australian Open, uh, six top seeds out of the eight made the quarterfinals, which um, is something that nowadays you don't really see very often. So it just shows you like um, such a powerful and strong field that we had. You know, with Justina Nan and Venus Williams and Serena Williams and Sharapova and Jankovic and all these players, um, and it was really it was really an amazing tournament. And I remember playing, um, it was, I think, 7-5, 6-2, and um, it was a very close match with Maria. And, um, of course, it, it definitely pre prepared me mentally uh, for the for the French Open that year mm -hmm. later. But um, it was very, very hard match for me as well, because after experiencing the final of French Open the previous year, I really felt ready for that final. Um, so mm -hmm. it was um, it was not not an easy defeat for me. But again, like you learn so much and you try to improve. Mm -hmm. So since you mentioned about Venus and Serena Williams, I have to ask you uh, one question. Like what was something that they taught you? Like what was something which, you know, the other matches couldn't teach you, but, you know, the matches against Venus and Serena, they the lessons that you learned from their matches. I mean, both, even though they're a little bit different, both of them have a very powerful game, you know, and um, and they really go for their shots, you know. So it's it's this confidence that you can see and, and believe in their game. And um, even before I made it on tour and watching them, it was always like a dream to play against them um, because they had this domina and they were um, having this aggressive game, which I also had. So um, having this uh, confidence to go for your shots and, and, and so on, um, it's definitely something you, you take from their game. So what really differentiates them from, you know, rest of the people on tour? Um, well, it, I mean, both of them are quite tall, so it is a little bit like intimidating um, and they have both very powerful serves. So um, in, in women's tennis, um, you don't have that many players with the big serves. Um, maybe now with the taller players, there is uh, some more, but um, it's it starts at the point like with so much pressure on. And this is something that um, was always very different with them. So you knew that you had to hold on to your serve and try to look for opportunity to somewhere break them because... Um, um, yeah, they had this this powerful serves that you knew that they were gonna um, probably hit an ace <laughs> every game. So um, it it was just trying to anticipate uh, which side they're gonna go for. 
Yeah, Serena Sir is definitely an iconic one. Even in the men's game, people fear like when she's playing mixed doubles and all. Men, even the ATP men, they're scared of Serena Sir. Exactly, so, and she's very easy. <laughs> so speaking about your fairy tale season in the year 2018, you made it to, uh, 20. I'm sorry, 2008. You made it to the Grand Slam finals in Melbourne, and then you were a champion in Paris and by defeating Dinara Safina in the finals and you were not just a grand slam champion you were also crowned as the world number one so what are the memories that stand out from that historic moment of your career I mean there are actually quite few um even the semi final match against Jankovic it's it's a very special match because um at that time mm -hmm. I didn't know that the winner of that match would become number one in the world and my team managed to hide that fact from me and um at that time there was no really social media so there was no one to remind you of that either <laughs> so um so so for me that was really iconic because we had such a tough battle three sets and six four in the third set and um, after that match when i learned that i'm going to be number one um it was just incredible you know so um but i really tried to stay focused on my game plan for the for the final because uh, winning a grand slam is of course something super special so um yeah i i was really happy and uh, dinara had many many good wins that year um i think she even beat Sharapova and a few other top players on the road to a final. Um, so she had an amazing year as well. So um, it was uh, it was a tough match, but um, I really was focused on my game plan and and didn't want to think about number one yet. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was unique two weeks. Mm -hmm. Since you mentioned about social media, I would like to ask you. Like nowadays, everywhere we have stats going on, records being brokered, and you know everything being projected on social media instantly. So by fans and by other tennis outlets, by other sports media houses, they are posting it, you know, instantly, like during when matches are going on. So does it affect the performance of an athlete these days? Like by reading, by by reading all these stats and all. Um, I would imagine so. I mean, um. I know that even then, when you didn't have all that, the mm -hmm. press used to remind you of that and that was already mm -hmm. hard enough but having someone instantly remind you of every single thing or um, every stats because when you play a match you don't really think if your opponent has a good score in a third set or not you don't you just play the match you know um, but nowadays they, they talk about this they they talk about how many forehands they hit across how many forehands they, they hit um, down the line and I think mm -hmm. sometimes it becomes too clinical it's it's sometimes better to rely on your your own instinct and that's at least how i like to play because i want to feel the opponent i want to feel the ball and i want to have that freedom without over analyzing which i anyway did <laughs> so with this would be just an extra <laughs> over analyzation so um i mean i saw that now in australian open they also use um hawkeye for the line calls um which sometimes might be easier because I can see the change in players. It gives you like peace of mind, like, okay, you cannot argue, you cannot challenge really. It's, <laughs> it's there. But at the same time, it also takes away this um, a human aspect a little bit. So it is a little bit um, hard because it's different. You're used to all these linesmen and you're used to all these um, different things. But of course, yeah. it is way more fair if you think, okay, 
the call is called because many times it happens that you have the wrong call. Um, but yeah, um, definitely the social media and technology change the sport a lot. Even when we go back uh, and talk about strings and rackets, improving mm-hmm. uh, technology in that area um, helped many players to um, to compensate for the for the lack of certain things. You know, if you miss spin or if you miss uh, power or if you whatever like you you manage to compensate so it definitely changed tennis in a way so last month i was in conversation with coach wim fisset so he mentioned the same point as you did the evolution of tennis back back in the days of steffi graf it was more of a chess game then when you were playing williams sisters were dominating it was more about power and right now it's all about technology the sport like technology has taken over you know all the aspects of tennis so it's the same point as you made yeah and it is and you can really see that because um in the times where where i feel like i feel like i old but in times that that i played and um it really felt that the talented players naturally got far um yeah. because know this compensation of uh, technique or power or so on whereas now um it's it's much closer the competition is much closer so it started to change already when i was playing but now especially it's so obvious that um not only technology but the, the, the mind and now it's so much about mind you know and and who can be mentally stronger and presently on tour if you see we have different champions every slam especially on the women's side what do you think about the present tour and who are your favorites um yeah i mean um that's something that it's of course um uh, a challenging and um and very different to see because you know in in let's say 10 years ago it was it was absolutely not like this you had few favorites and you knew one of them is going to win um this also brings a little bit excitement because also brings chance for younger players um to do well um like we saw in the US Open final with Emma and Lila um i mean two teenagers in a final that's um that's also very very rare and it was amazing opportunity for them to play on such a big um, stage mm-hmm. um and now this um Australian Open in particular like Vika is doing well um she's back in a semi final um so it's like i said it's nice to see the old faces as well um but uh, at the moment i think Iga Swiatek she's um, she's definitely the one who is dominating you know and you can see that she's um, she's mentally tough she has a good game powerful game and uh, I mean Sabalenka has very powerful game too. Um she's doing well now but again it's it's um, it's putting everything together you know with with power with balance with with mental sides and so on. Um but um yeah it's 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 exciting to watch like uh, I've been watching some of the tennis this um um Australian Open and and it's been nice to see. Speaking about Rika Do you uh, you were the defending champion at 2009 French Open and you had a match against Rika and you were the defending champion and she defeated you in the fourth round do you remember that match Yes I remember Susan Lenglen <laughs> <laughs> So I think that Is must it? have been a, mm-hmm. Go ahead Yeah she's a great player we always had a, a, a tough battles Um we mm-hmm. played quite a few times and uh, of course she's two times Australian Open champion and um she won uh, I think it was 
11, I believe, when she won back-to-back Indian Wells in Miami. Um, but yeah, she's um, she's she's a great player. I think it was in 2016, I believe, 15 or 16. Not yeah. <laughs> My mm-hmm. years are completely It's okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's nice. And also both of you, you played at Wimbledon Juniors semi-final. Do you remember? Like that was your first match. Ah, yes. Yes, I do remember. I do remember mm-hmm. that one. Oh, God, that was so long ago. I remember the court. <laughs> down court, I don't know, 18, 19. I remember. I think we played like 12, 10 in a third set. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. It was an interesting match. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, my all memories coming back right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. it's, of course, very emotional, you know, when you remember um, all the little things and um, the the way. I mean, I remember actually another match that I had with her in Cincinnati in 2010, mm-hmm. which was, um, I think she had even match points, two match points that mm-hmm. I saved and ended, ended up winning match um, in a first or second round. Um, and that was the year where my rankings dropped a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that was a kind of a turning point and a comeback for me. And it was also against her. So we know each other for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's been almost six years since you hung your tennis racket. I remember in December 2016, you had announced like you will you are retiring from tennis. And what people think is tennis is a professional tennis is indeed a glamorous job. But in fact, it involves a lot of long flying hours, incessant training sessions, jet lags. And simultaneously, there's a lot of fun involved for that one moment of glory which you people live. So what is that one thing that you really miss about, you know, not being on tour? Um, Well, the one thing that I definitely miss is um, playing in the big events, you know, like um, Mm -hmm. the Grand Slams and and, and so on. And and playing the the last four, the finals and so on. I think this is super... Um, unique and um, and special a special thing, but um, like you say, it can be also hard from um, from the side of traveling and so on. But me personally, I I struggled a lot um, physically because um, they always tell you sport is really good to do for your health. Yes, but professional sport it's another level. So you push your body to the limits, and um, and I had um, in 2015 just before Australian Open, I broke my toe and it completely um, like. It was super hard to heal and then completely changed my uh, my mechanics. So then I started to have a knee pain and hip pain and so on. So it was a kind of a battle a little bit. So for me, that was the big part that made me kind of decide, okay, you know what, uh, maybe it's time to, to do something else. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, you made that choice to, you know, skip tennis and do, uh, to explore other ventures in life. So... And yes, and it's always super hard. It's always super hard decision because um, tennis has been my life, and uh, and you know I still love it. But um, it was a point where I felt that I have to be honest to myself, and also um, see you know what I can do and what I um, maybe cannot. And um, and for me that was the the turning point. Since you love tennis so much, are you considering a comeback? or not in form of like a player, but as a coach, as a mentor in someone's box, do we get Uh, to see you? 
to be to be honest i i love tennis and i want to stay of course involved and uh, and uh, i i still come to some of the events but i really at the moment i can't see myself as a, as a coach um on tour maybe as a mentor yes but uh, not really as a coach because um it's still intense uh, traveling and so on and the, the kids are still um very little and uh, and i want to uh, spend time with them as well family comes first <laughs> yes so in the year 2022 the very last year we uh, tennis world witnessed like retirement of big names which includes ash party then followed by serena williams then in two weeks another two weeks roger federer so did you see their final matches and do you think uh, their departure is the changing of the guard which is taking place in tennis um well i i definitely i mean it was very hard moment for tennis um because um serena and roger have have left such a, such a marks on the sport and they were inspirations for many um including myself so um yeah um it's absolutely Uh, absolutely tough moment for tennis but um we really need to make this transition and 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 see new faces and and create new um new rivals you know like especially in the men's tennis i mean um Roger Novak um and Rafa and to some uh, instinct also Mari uh, i mean this rivalry it's not going to be easy to recreate and uh, um but i do hope that the new generations can uh, can can really step up on men's side you see also many new faces as well on, as on a woman so um hopefully in the next year we can we can try uh, uh, or we can see more of the rivalry which i think everyone enjoys <laughs> yeah definitely so i have some fans questions for you okay uh, who was your toughest opponent during your well, entire course- career of course playing serena it's always tough but um uh, later on i must say i i really uh, struggle playing with pliskova because she also has like a very big serve and mm-hmm. um very hard to predict the game so for me it was a little bit hard playing her yeah but unfortunately pliskova lost today in the quarterfinals of australian open yeah <laughs> did you see that match like i think I it's did. the tough- in the middle night it's in the middle of the night yeah, yeah. yeah unfortunately she I lost mm-hmm. and also speaking talking about your personal life a little bit your husband bastian schweinsteiger uh, he was in the 2014 fifa world cup and he was widely regarded as one of the most important contributors for germany's victory that year and especially he was playing a crucial role in defending messi in the final uh, if i'm not wrong right after their victory both of you met and you started dating so and right now almost 9 years later you have a happy family together so could you please tell like how did you guys meet and you ended up dating each other um we actually met through a, um a common friend um he was friends with the coach of Angeli Kerber and of course mm-hmm. I'm friends with Angie Angie uh, so mm-hmm. we met uh, in New York yeah right after and um mm-hmm. yeah to be honest I didn't really follow uh, football at that time um but uh, yeah it was it was interesting <laughs> so in New York like you were there for the American swing or you just happened to be there 
Um, it was during the US Open. So he had ah. some days off. Was in New York. Uh-huh. So did he come to see our patches or something? No, not. We we met after. Uh-huh. All right. So right now, like your kids are your definitely your priority since you mentioned it time and again. So what is one thing that your kids have taught you and other ventures of your life, tennis, entrepreneurship, it couldn't? Um, well, one of the things for sure, it's patience, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, patience and also sponta- being spontaneous because in, mm-hmm. in tennis and also in other ventures, you kind of plan things and it's, mm-hmm. you stick to the plan, you have the weekly, um, a plan and so on. And with kids, um, not, not really, you know, you have to, um, you have to see how the day goes, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you plan things and then they get sick or whatever. So it's really, it really taught me to be more in a moment, um, and also being with them um, they are in the moment so you really have no other option and it's really uh, rewarding and it was uh, probably the hardest lesson for me to to learn to not over analyze and over plan but uh, mm-hmm. I think I'm improving <laughs> <laughs> and also my one final question to you whom are you rooting for a at the Australian Open. So let's start with the women's side first because on the men's side, I think it's pretty obvious. <laughs> yes, I think, I mean, I think Novak is really, um, is really on the road uh, to, to, to winning it. I mean, there are other players playing really well. I can't really see anyone challenging him, especially um, towards the end of the tournament. And uh, now we come to the more difficult part, the woman part, um, because obviously um, there are some players that are playing extremely well. But when it comes to the to the finals and semifinals um, and anything can happen, you know, it's about, um, you know, being um, mentally, mentally strong, like I said, and also um, not let the, the moment be that overwhelming. So, of course, mm-hmm. when I look um, at, the, at the the draw, of course, I would say like Vika is, has the most experience um, and so on, um, although she hasn't been in the semis and finals in, in a while. So, um of course, it's a completely um, new new challenge in a way, but I still think that she has that experience and that fighting spirit. She's been playing really well. So, um, yeah, Sabalenka has been playing extremely well too, I must say. Um, she's been really winning her matches easily. So, um, and I believe they play in the semifinal, right? Yeah. Uh, no, so- no, it's uh, Rebakina and Azarenka and Sabalenka ah, okay. and Magdalena. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So maybe that could be the final as a ring kind so, yeah. of yeah, so I, th- I think that's your dream final. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, and then like in final, I think anything can happen. Like I said, Vika has maybe more experience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, experience might outplay all the power that Sabalenka has. Maybe, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah. And who's the GOAT in your opinion? From the men's side, you mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I I must say Novak. I mean, he's. Uh, um, mm-hmm. I think he's very soon reaching the, mm-hmm. the 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 biggest number of Grand Slams. I think he might even do it this year. Um, and um, he's just been dominant for so long, and also um, staying healthy. And uh, like he says, he still has some years in front of him. So um, I definitely think in think in terms of um, achievements, um, it's him. Mm-hmm. So you were really good friends with Novak. 
And do you guys get to speak to each other? Do you guys meet each other at least once a year these days? Um, no, not really. Um, last few years, no, we are not uh, in touch or we haven't seen each other in, in uh, yeah, quite a few years now. <laughs> All right, that's lovely to know. And so, Stana, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure talking to you. And I learned so much about tennis, about your career from you. It was definitely, I had a wonderful time. Thank you so much. Nice talking to you too. Okay, thank you so much, Anna. Have a lovely day ahead.